The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to explore anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. I'm excited to get started. Today we are, this is week, what, five, five. in Lent. Yeah. Five. Five. So, And the end of the sermon series. It is the end of it. It's Putting quite, it to bed. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been a good one. It has been. <laughs> yeah, these are great topics. And it's not that often that you get like five sermons in a row on the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we did go to John last week. But we, yeah, but but we did Numbers 21. The tie into Numbers, yeah. So, yeah. Which I is think... good because the Easter season is all New Testament. Yeah. So you got to balance it out. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I like that I got to preach on, on two of them, which, you know, that's a... That's a lot during Lent. Well, yeah. What is that? 40%. 40% of the sermons in Lent you preached. Watch (laughs) out. Coming for you. (laughs) Sounds Um, aggressive. No. no, So uh, this past (laughs) week when I preached, or yeah, the the week before when I did John and you were out of town. So, you know, I do the greeting, uh, the sermon, the offertory, the benediction. It's like the Reagan show. But then I was also in the children. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Video. So I made Did a, you feel like you were oversaturated? A little bit. So I made a joke <laughs> at the eleven like to Brian. I'm like, Brian, coming for you, but take your solos. <laughs> like Was he I, was he intimidated by that? Um yeah, he should because you know, my voice also sounds like an angel. <laughs> Golly, he's, he's pretty unflappable. He's, he's in the army. He's, and he's real even Steven. Yeah. Yeah, Brian's great. We ought to get him on the podcast sometime. Yeah. Not to sing, just to talk, because he's a very interesting guy. Right. And to sing. I wouldn't mind if he like sang the intro and exit. Yeah. You know. Well, okay. So preview. So Palm Sunday, which is the sixth Sunday in Lent. The last Sunday in Lent, but I never make it part of the series, because Palm Sunday deserves its own thing. Yeah. So he and his wife are singing a duet of oh. one of my favorite songs, The Holy City. Okay. I love that song. It was on a Christmas album growing up, one of those Time Life Christmas albums. And like it came right after Mahalia Jackson singing Go Tell It on the Mountain. And I, I don't remember who the guy was who sang it on the album, but it was awesome. And it's always been associated with Christmas for me, which is like I've got my Christmas mug today. Christmas <laughs> is a big thing for me. But it's really intended to be sung on Palm Sunday. Okay. And so it's, it's, it moves me to tears every time. It's like it's almost as good as Oh Holy Night on Christmas Eve for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited. And apparently, so I was out on Christmas Eve because we were quarantined because mm-hmm. of COVID. Apparently, he and his wife did a, a duet. Uh, you were there. Do you I remember? was there. Did they do a duet? I mean, I think that's what... I, th- I was <laughs> I so that- nervous to preach, I probably didn't pay attention to anyone else. <laughs> well, I think uh, I'm, I'm anxious to hear them sing. Yeah. And, uh, Max, my oldest, is in the youth choir with Brian, and I, I think McKenna um, has helped with youth choir and yeah. helped with Broadway Cafe and stuff, and she's just supposed to be terrific, so... Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Brian didn't know this... Opening the podcast is going to be about him. All about him. This is an ode to Brian. (laughs) Okay. So, all right, let's talk about your sermon. So you open up sharing about uh, Brene Brown and Mm -hmm. her book, Dare to Lead That, uh, the senior staff. We've been reading that. And so what made you choose that book and what do you like most about Brene Brown? Okay, so I'm going to peel back the curtain. Um, Whitney recommended. (laughs) 
okay. that I read it and read it with senior staff. Oh, good job, Whitney. Uh, yes. So there's a, we have a longstanding joke. One time I, um, I was tired or something and she had suggested something that I do and it went over well. <laughs> I told her, you are the source of many of my good ideas. Mm-hmm. And she's like, those aren't then your ideas, Chris. They're my ideas that yeah. you then. So anyway, so she recommended it because she had heard, uh, she listens to Brene's podcast and there were a couple of things that I can't remember what the episode was or what section of the book they were talking about, but um, I'm familiar with Brene's work because of, and I mentioned this in the sermon, uh, I was in a Texas Methodist Foundation cohort with other um, Methodist pastors, and we read her book, Daring Greatly, mm-hmm. which is terrific. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is an extension of her work, and um, I know enough about Daring Greatly to know that the principles are good in any setting. So I, did, I hadn't read it ahead of time. Um, Whitney said it was, you know, she had told me about some stuff she heard on the podcast. I said, perfect, let's just read this as a staff. And it, I, I mean, I feel like it's gone really well. I've enjoyed the book. I've finished it now. I finished it when we were on vacation last week. And what, like, what are your impressions of it? Oh, I, I mean, I love it. I mean, um, I'm real big into to trust and vulnerability and, and all that kind. So I just, pretty much anything she writes, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here for She's really good. Uh, total side note, she did an interview with the guys who um, do Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. and it was brilliant. Oh, I haven't listened to that It yet. was awesome. Okay. I don't, think, I don't think it was the Dare to Lead podcast. It was a different podcast. The Unlock? Um, Is it the Unlock Unlocking one? Us? Yeah. Yeah. So Jason Sudeikis and the guy who um, plays Coach Beard, is the co- he's the co-creator. I can't remember his name. But they did a whole podcast about Ted Lasso, which, you know, we could do a whole podcast series on Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. True story. I'm in a Ted Lasso cohort with some pastor friends. I know. Do you know this? Thanks for the invite. Gosh. Well. Just <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Have you watched it yet? What? Ted Lasso? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, right. I'm going through it again. It's so okay. good. Okay. So you talk about the two values that Brené Brown says, you know, you, you got to narrow it down to two, which yeah. was extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. So which which ones were your two? So uh, mine were faith and family, and you know faith is going to sound like a cop out for mm-hmm. a pastor, but it, but before I mean, it's my relationship with God comes first. It comes before my profession. It comes before my call. It comes before anything else in my life, and um, it's been that way for much of my adulthood. Um, and so everything. Every value has to ultimately flow back from that. It's it's not unlike the two great commandments, love God, love neighbor, mm-hmm. right? It all starts with loving God. And uh, so uh, faith is, for probably obvious reasons, is number mm-hmm. one. And then family was the other. <clears throat> you know, um, I think most professions, or maybe not most, many professions uh, can be all-consuming. Life in the church certainly can. And when uh, when pretty early on, after I heard a call to ministry and started working in the church, a call to ordained ministry and started working in the church. Um, you know, Whitney and I had lots of conversations about how to make sure the family was the priority because this job, it can be all consuming mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's especially true when you're uh, the senior pastor of a smaller church <clears throat> where you don't have a, a lot of staff, there aren't other pastors. So every hospital visit is mm-hmm. yours. Every funeral is yours. Um, every crisis <laughs> comes through your office in some way. And so, um, 
you know, it's really important to us that our kids end up loving the church <laughs> and not resenting the church. Right. It's almost like, um, you know, it's a stereotype of the pastor's kid who ends up rebelling against the church because mom or dad were never around because, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we didn't want that to happen. So uh, we try to live that out. And, um, you know, a good example is last week we were, the kids were on spring break. We went out of town. I didn't really think about work, even though it's the middle of Lent. It helps that we've got an incredibly talented staff and that you're here on staff to hold down the fort. Um, but that's, that's, it's always going to come down to those two things for me. Yeah. So how about you? I'm trying to, I forgot to bring the book to our podcast, but I think mine were what inclusion and joy, I think. So yeah, I'm big on relationship and making sure people feel like they belong and thinking of everything that I do, thinking about people that um, maybe are on the outside, how they hear it. And then almost big humor, (laughs) but joy. I I mean, I want to bring some joy into pretty much everything. Mm. So I did not pick faith. So I don't know if people (laughs) are disappointed in me, but so be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. To quote Ted Lasso. There you go. Who quoted Walt Whitman. There you go. So everybody's got their own core values. Yeah. And it's, it's a really good exercise. Really I mean, it good. really is. I would highly encourage um, anyone to do it because it's, it can be clarifying. And her, if she quotes in that section of the book, Jim Collins, who did a lot of work, who's done a lot of work on like um, uh, organizational management and leadership. And his thing is, and I'm, it's not unique to Jim Collins, but if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. Mm-hmm. So if you've got 10 values, <laughs> it's, I think it doesn't take too much thinking about it to realize that those are going to come into conflict at some point. And mm-hmm. so then what takes priority? What is subordinate to, the, to everything else? Or so, if you stand for nothing, um, kind of. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything? Yeah. Is that Hamilton? Hamilton, come it, on. But you know what else it is? It's Alanis Morissette. Also, and uh, uh, do you know Alanis Morissette? Uh, yeah, Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An angry like fifth grader of me listening to Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> Not appropriate. Again. Not appropriate. Third kid. <laughs> Third child. <laughs> okay. So last week we talked about the covenant in Christ found in John three fourteen through twenty one, and then we came. Well, you talked about Jeremiah thirty one. So is that normal to go back, or why is that order? The lectionary has it that way. Right. So yeah, I mean, so the, I, we were just following the okay the the like sometimes I, when we're preaching from the lectionary, I'll do <laughs> like lectionary adjacent. Like if we'll, I'll do them a little bit out of order or whatever if it fits fits better thematically. In this case, I think it works because you know Jesus that John three sixteen that everyone knows and loves. He is referencing a very important story from Numbers, mm-hmm. but an obscure story from Numbers. Yeah, and so when you when you do it that way, it's chronological right because we went genesis genesis exodus numbers and now jeremiah um but i i like doing it that way because it's a good reminder as christians it's easy to get really focused on the new testament and kind of dismissive about the old testament absolutely right so um it's good i think to remember (laughs) that when jesus is talking about the new covenant he's referencing (laughs) The Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's referencing Jeremiah. Paul's the same way. Paul mentions it in First Corinthians. <clears throat> Jesus mentions it, mentions it on the night before he dies. Um, so, uh, it's certainly in the synoptics. And so, uh, I think that's a good tie-in, and it's it it works thematically. I think. Yeah. 
All right. So we're again, we're in Jeremiah 31. So mm-hmm. catch us catch us up on what happened or has been happening when Jeremiah 31 kind of rolls around. What's the context? So uh yeah. So there was I'm trying to talk about think about how I want to talk about this. So that two thing comes up. So there's two core values. I talked about the two major events in the Old Testament. There were two uh, prophets, major prophets that were lifted up during this era. And so um, Jer- uh, Jeremiah does his work um, in the last days, the last years, better way to say that, uh, before the Babylonian captivity, captivity, the exile. Okay. And during that era, there were two major prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Ezekiel does his work in captivity in Babylon. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah does his work in Judah. But the Babylonian exile was not like the Babylonians invaded and now it's all done. It was a long process. Okay. And there were actually two exiles. There were two exiles over the course of 10 years. The first one was in like 597. The dating is not exactly precise, but about 597, um, Babylon, Babylon comes, uh, they, they whoop Judah who wasn't behaving. They take off, they take some people into exile. And then Judah doesn't learn its lesson. The king, the king, the royalty, like mm-hmm. the leaders of Judah don't learn their lesson. And they keep provoking Babylon until the second invasion and total destruction of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the raising of the temple. So Je- Jeremiah 31 is in that, ter- that period between the, the first time the, the first kind of partial exile and then the final destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. So it's a tumultuous time. Uh, it's a dangerous time for Judah. And it's a time of um, when the religious leaders are really having a hard time understanding theologically what's going on. And so this new covenant that he promises is um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about this uh, like uh, with, let's just name our Christian bias on this right because okay. for us the the new covenant is fulfilled in Christ yeah. obviously a a Jewish rabbi would not think so, so right but from our perspective so this is um, a Christian reading of this which I know sounds like a silly thing to have to say but it's <laughs> it's important because Jeremiah on his own terms is different than Jeremiah interpreted through the lens of Christian discipleship. So um, the, Jeremiah basically says in this passage, we couldn't keep the old covenant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we keep screwing it up. We keep not caring for one another. We keep chasing after other gods. We keep uh, making something other than God a priority. And God's had enough. <laughs> so like, there's going to be this judgment for the northern kingdom of Israel. It's a little confusing. Northern mm-hmm. kingdom was Israel. The Assyrian uh, uh, conquest, exile, destruction of the northern kingdom in Judah was seen to be their judgment for that those tribes having not followed the covenant, and the uh, the religious leaders in Judah were like, "Look, we saw what happened to the to Israel. Now it's going to happen to Judah. Babylon's going to be the bad guys who do it, and we deserve it because we can't keep the covenant." And so this uh, what Jeremiah is saying is. We'll get past it. God's going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. God hasn't given up on us yet, even though we screw it up over and over and over again. Um, so there's going to come a time when this new covenant will be written on our hearts. 
Okay. I love I, and I love this passage. I love this passage. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's so good <laughs> because what he says is, um, it should have been very straightforward. That here are the rules. Here are the ways that you're in relationship with me and with one another. Yeah. It's very comprehensive. There are 613 of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you have any questions about anything, it's in the law. Just yeah. follow that. Yep. Of course, easier said than done, right? <laughs> and so the history from Mount Sinai to the exile is God's people falling short of the terms of the covenant over and over and over again. That's the that's how they're interpreting things theologically. So um, what he says is, like, let's just read the verses, right? Okay. There's, it's so good. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A new covenant, a different, that means a different covenant. Right? A different one than the law of the covenant, the one with Moses. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, <laughs> though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Okay, So after the exile, after the judgment, we're not going to get off scot-free. Mm-hmm. There are consequences of our bad behavior. But after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That is an incredible, incredible promise. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the New Testament, in the New Testament, we read both Jesus and Paul and let's not kid ourselves, those are the two major figures in the New Testament, yeah. both reference this new covenant that Jeremiah promised and says, okay, here it is. Mm-hmm. This is now after those days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know how you keep all that straight, all the dates, all the people. Okay, so you did say in your sermon, I think about the exile, that some people thought it was they were being punished mm-hmm because they hadn't lived up to that. So talk mm-hmm. about, do you think uh, do you think God punishes for disobedience? What do you think? Oh, man. I don't think so. I mean, there's it's hard because there's consequences mm-hmm. for things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff, I mean, we bring upon ourselves. It's not really God saying, oh, they messed up, so I'm going to bring upon this. I don't know. There's this tension in Christian theology. And uh, it's a really, it's a, it's an important tension to hold uh, together, I think. And it shows up over and over again. So is God three or is God one? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Is it judgment or is it grace? And the answer is yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> is it, is Jesus human or divine? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, as in the modern world, uh, we, and then the postmodern world, like this is, we're going to get into some philosophical discussion here, but uh, it is not uncommon for people to be more comfortable with either or thinking mm-hmm. than both and thinking. Yeah. You know, you've asked a very straightforward question that has a complicated answer. Yeah. So do I believe that God punishes disobedience? Um, I think the way I would I'm I'm a Methodist preacher, you're a Methodist preacher, so our answer is always going to be grace. Right. right? So God's always going to call us back into relationship. God's always there for when we turn back to God. 
I think the way I, I, the way I think about it is that God allows us to suffer, I think is the word I want to use. Yeah. The consequences of our bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, because we're, we, I mean, as a Methodist, yes, we lead with grace, but we're also firmly committed to free will. Mm-hmm. So if, if, uh, I have a, if I can freely choose a relationship with God, I can freely choose not to be in a relationship with God. And that in, uh, in and of itself has consequences. Yeah. It all comes back to John, right? So John says, this is the judgment that they chose darkness and they loved darkness right. rather than light. That in and of itself is the judgment. I mean, people, Bishop Scott Jones, I, he was, a was it some denominational thing? And his, he made a, he made a point that uh, I think was an excellent one. Uh, he said, you know, we too much of Christian conversation and not Methodist conversation necessarily. This is more kind of conservative evangelical conversation. But he said too much of Christian conversations about getting our way into heaven and avoiding hell. Mm-hmm. And he said, walk out the doors of your church. There are people living in hell all around you. <laughs> mm-hmm. The hell of addiction, the hell of crushing poverty, the hell of racist oppression. And our job is to be bearers of the light, be bearers of God's love and grace in the midst of that. So does God punish? It's back to your question. Yeah. I don't believe that God motivated the emperor of Babylon to conquer Judah because Judah wouldn't, yeah. was eating, you know, was violating the 613 rules of the covenant. I don't believe that's the way it works. Yeah. But I also want to honor the theologians in that time who saw it that way. Okay. How's that for a, is it too squishy of an answer? <laughs> no, no, I think it makes sense. Okay. So you talk about the four stages of competence and how it relates to our faith. Mm-hmm. And I also, you shared about how you got a guitar <laughs> when you were a youth pastor and you learned a song. I, I, like, I learned the chords of a song kind of. <laughs> well, is it like most Christian music? They say like, if you learn like these three chords, yeah. you can play like 90%. Yeah. 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 True. I think what that's song true. was it? Do you remember? Um, this was like the early 2000s, so it was probably, I, don't, I honestly don't remember. I, I, I would have said it if I okay. could, would have remembered, but it, it was probably like, I could sing of your love forever. Okay. I could sing of your love forever. <laughs> yeah. Watch out, Brian Stenson. Yeah. She is going to take your solo. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> All right. Four stages of competence. Yeah. What, what are they? I love this. I love this psychology. Okay. I mean, it's really, it's really, really helpful. So the first stage is unconscious incompetence. That's where we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage is conscious incompetence. We realize that there's this cool thing that exists that we don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's conscious competence where you can do something, but it requires a fair amount of thought. And then it's unconscious competence where you can do it kind of without giving it too much thought Mm -hmm. and so the um the obvious metaphor is learning how to ride a bike like when you're a kid you don't know what you don't know Mm but what's a bike then you see a kid riding a bike oh that looks like fun and so you get your parents or some other trusted adult to teach you and you have training wheels and you have to learn your balance and you get fall down a lot and get scraped and bruised and all that and eventually you can do it Mm -hmm. but then it takes a fair amount of work. You know, you get a little nervous around turns or you, you see another bike and you freak out and the car's too close to you or whatever, or your parents are freaking out. <laughs> and then eventually you just, like, I don't even, most of us get to a point where it's hard to teach somebody how to ride a bike because we just 
have forgotten how to do it. Right. I mean, we we know we know how to do it, but we forget how to learn. Yeah. I remember when I was a parent, we were trying to teach the boys how to learn. Uh, I am a parent, but when we had kids and it came time to teach kid our boys how to learn how to ride a bike, um, it takes a, a lot of thought. Like how mm-hmm. how do you learn how to ride a bike? I know. So, yeah. And then the other example was the kind of a virtuoso musician, mm-hmm. where they know their craft well enough that I mean they work at it all the time, they spend their life doing it. Right. But it's not something they have to think about. Okay. And how does how does this all relate to our faith then? So, um, the kind of loose analogy that I was making is that kind of loosely correlates to the stages of faith. So at first we don't know what we don't know. And that's, you know, for most of us, it's where we go to church where it's just a nice place and everyone loves us. Mm-hmm. The guys dressed up in a weird or the girls dressed up in a weird black dress and <laughs> there's like all this stuff going on. And we just know it's a happy place. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. And then we realize that there's a lot to learn. <laughs> there's a lot to learn about like Christian teaching and the Bible and the Bible is probably the big one. Like we get this book and, mm-hmm. Someone reads to it, reads reads from it, maybe in Sunday school every week, and we can do it. We can understand it in bite sized chunks. But my gosh, it's this really complicated document, blah blah blah. Um, and then we gain proficiency in the various areas of faith, but it takes some work and some thought. And then eventually, hopefully, our faith becomes just part of who we are. How we it becomes who we show up. How we show up in the world. It form it uh, shapes our decisions. It affects how we make sense of things mm-hmm. ideally. And to me, what Jeremiah is talking about with the new covenant is kind of like that, the kind of the unconscious competence thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he overtly says in the verses we read at best on our best days, with the old covenant and I'm using air quotes, old covenant. This, mm-hmm. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Um, on our best days, we were consciously competent <laughs> But a lot of the time, we were consciously incompetent, so much so that we are about to go into exile in Babylon because God's had enough of that. Okay. So how do you think we can relate to maybe the events leading up to Jeremiah 31 that we've kind of experienced some doom and gloom the last 12 months and the idea that hopefully better days are to come? Okay, so I would be uncomfortable (laughs) making an analogy to the last days of Judah. Sure. With now. Yeah, it's probably not quite the same. <laughs> well, because like I would never interpret. Now, people do this, yeah. Reagan, so it's a good question. I think yeah. it's, been, you know, we get, need to get it on the table. There are people who, who interpret natural disaster mm-hmm. uh, or like these kind of world events as God throwing firebolts, thunderbolts, lightning bolts, I guess lightning bolts, thunderbolts are not really a thing, lightning bolts from the sky to punish us for bad living. Yeah. That's terrible theology. It's terrible theology and people do it all the time. I bet there's a podcast right now where somebody's saying. Literally right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's garbage. (laughs) Unsubscribe from that. Unsubscribe. Yeah, exactly. And encourage your friends and family to unsubscribe from those kind of podcasts. Um, So... I don't think I would make that kind of comparison. To me, it's um, it's how do we live faithfully in the midst of the storms of life that matters the most. Mm-hmm. And so with the new covenant on our hearts, that is, as Christians, we believe uh, is ours by virtue of our faith in Christ. Then <clears throat> our task becomes saying yes to God 
as fully and thoroughly as we can. And what that looks like is following the way of Christ mm-hmm. to the extent that we can. We still have free will. It's on our hearts, but we're not robots, <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> but it's it's like the the Holy Spirit is within us. The Holy Spirit has, has written that covenant on our hearts. And so we have the ability to say yes. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the way I would go with that. Yeah. Um, so through all the exile and all that stuff, did God ever abandon God's people? <laughs> you know the answer to that. Well, I think, I guess when I think about, uh, thinking about the last 12 months, yeah, again, it's not the same as mm-hmm. what's going on here, but. No, but saying that over and over again is good because I, I think there are pl- there's plenty of bad theology that mm-hmm. would kind of make it a, an analogy there. Yeah. But I, you know, I never felt abandoned by God and I always knew that, and you you say this all the time, like this, this too shall pass and just like better days are going to come. And I think. That's what I see all the time in this scripture is God saying this will not last forever. And so, and that God is always with us. Mm-hmm. Like this is part of what makes the, um, the prophets tricky to read mm-hmm. to me, because it's easy to, if you were to kind of, uh, read this in a fundamentalist flat way, mm-hmm. Then you would say, well, clearly God's got a judgment because all in the old, all in the prophets, they say, well, God's going to do this to you because you didn't, mm-hmm. you weren't doing it right. And that's just not the way we understand. That's not the other way. Not, that's not the way Methodist theology processes who God is or how God shows up in the world. Yeah. It's like we don't read the book of Revelation as a train schedule for the end of the world. <laughs> and there are plenty of people who do. Right. But what, that's just not how we Mm-mm. make sense of it. No. So, um, it's it's a I'm glad you like I'm glad you opened up this line of conversation because it's really really vitally important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the goal of the sermon series was to take a survey of the ways in which God has um, invited God's people into relationship in, throughout our salvation history, mm-hmm. and obviously for Christians, the culmination of that is in Christ. Mm-hmm. Back to your original question about. Why do we do it in this order? Mm-hmm. Why didn't we end with Jesus? Yeah. I I think it's a good, it's good to remind ourselves that the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and that the, the covenant that we're offered in Christ is the covenant that Jeremiah promised mm-hmm. during the exile. Um, the way that we understand God changes. God does not change. And from the covenant with Noah, the covenant that is all about God's grace, to the covenant that we have through Christ, which is the new covenant promised by Jeremiah. It's all the same. It's all the same God. It's the God who loves us unconditionally, the God who invites us into a relationship, who never gives up on us and walks with us even when we screw up. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, um, this is why I think the uh, the parental imagery for God, I th- it, for me personally, is helpful knowing how I feel about my kids who make plenty of mistakes because mm-hmm. they're human, <laughs> yeah. but it certainly doesn't change the way I feel about them. And it's certainly not going to change my relationship with them. Mm-hmm. That's God. That's the covenant. And it's awesome. Yeah. That's good. Stuff. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. And what we believe is that they came. Oh, that's good. Okay. Well, that's all I really have. I'm looking out our window and uh, that beautiful tree out there is blossoming and it's a little chillier today than it was the past couple of days, but the, it's warming up. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are getting vaccinated. 
Yeah. <laughs> Resurrection's right around the corner. Our our big celebration of the resurrection on Easter. So, um, you know, when we, I mean, let's just be honest. Lent can be a bit of a drudgery, like a, a um, it's a uh, downer sometimes. It can be. It can be. <laughs> it's kind of somber and serious. And mm-hmm. so, I, when we put a bow on the Lenten sermon series, it's always kind of yay. You know, mm-hmm. spring's here, baseball's here, summer's coming. Yep. Uh, so next week we do a kind of a standalone on Palm Sunday. And uh, this year we're, for both Palm Sunday and Easter, <laughs> it's Mark's year in the lectionary. So we're going to have partner. It's weird to be Mark. His uh, face right now. Give him, so <laughs> give Mark excited. his due, I guess. <laughs> um, but they'll, they'll be awesome. And so uh, this coming Sunday is the Easter egg hunt, mm-hmm. which is always a joyful celebration. It is. I and should probably get, get some. I gotta get Easter outfits for my kids. I haven't done that yet. It's more complicated when you got a girl, I think. I don't know. Does she have a hat, a bonnet? What year is it? No. <laughs> oh my God! Are you serious? Like in? Are you serious? Well, I know. Girl, you are showing your Metroplex bias, sister. <laughs> well, when I grew up, yeah, it was about the white gloves and the hat. White gloves. Yeah. Were you south of the Mason-Dixon line? Or no. the rectangle states. I know, but I remember always having like white gloves. Are they from Mississippi? No. Huh, interesting. Ashley, did you have white gloves for our Easter? Or, uh, Maybe once. And once. then like white patent shoes. I was getting <laughs> white, the white shoes and like white tights. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. None of that's a good combination with Easter chocolate, which by the way is the only appropriate kind of Easter candy. Let's no. get that on the table too. My daughter does not like chocolate. What? Yeah. Please tell me she doesn't like peeps. Uh, well, she does love love marshmallows. Marshmallows are one thing. Yeah. Peeps. I don't are know if she's ever had a peep. Okay. Good. So. All right. Anyway, we have lots of time to talk about <laughs> Easter candy. That's in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> we are so glad that you joined us for another episode of Off Script. It's always great to be with you, and we will see you again next week, or be with you again in spirit next week as we talk about Palm Sunday. Thanks, y'all. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.